Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Do you know what this week was? Th what today was? Today specifically. The last Sunday before we're supposed to have an F1 race? What was that? It was something else, too. International Women's Day? That Well, that was that's pretty important. That's not where I was going. But that's... that's <laughs> that, okay, yeah, that, it was that. Uh... I, I, I don't know. I'm scared that I don't know. Should I know? Today was opening day for the 2020 season at the Red Tail Golf Club. No, it wasn't. They were golfing yesterday? Because <laughs> they were golfing today. It was the first time I saw them out on the course from our vantage point. Here in, in the studio on the the at the sixth hole of the beautiful Red Tail Golf Club in fabulous village of Lakewood, Illinois. Excellent. <laughs> the thing is, the Red Tail Golf Club is open 365 days a year, so there is no opening season. But they were not golfing yet. It doesn't matter if they were open. I'm calling it. All righty. You <laughs> call it. All I'm going to tell you is that there was a golfer that was retrieving a ball next to a major road at least 50 yards off the golf course. See, his problem was that he was confusing a golf ball with a crumpled up Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup. Also possible. <laughs> <laughs> I have never seen one so far out of bounds. Yeah, it was pretty far. Anyway. So, I, you know, I wanted to start with that because otherwise we were going right into coronavirus stuff. Because I'm telling you, at this point, it's going to be a regular segment. That's unfortunate that it's going to become a regular segment because I was really hoping that we had protected ourselves against it. And that it would not become a thing, but apparently it's become a thing. It's become a thing, and um, this week has been a week of, um, for lack of a better description, rapidly changing developments and rapid fire developments. <clears throat> so here's my question. Okay. What makes better sense for us to go through sort of what has happened or, you know, kind of the timeline of all the different developments that happened because I happen to know are you about to go and blow our entire lineup away after we had this discussion of this is what the lineup is going to look like maybe um <sighs> ladies and gentlemen this is why he loves me no I just happen to know that you had to take notes I did have to take notes and honestly, my notes weren't even discussed as we went over the lineup because I had to take notes. There was that much going on this week. I understand. And my notes were specifically from developments today. Seriously, every time I opened my phone today, I got some other piece of news. So I don't want to like jump ahead, but oh, I know where you wanted to start. You wanted to start with MotoGP because you had. I do. So let's start there and then we'll go into the Formula One timeline we'll of work through there's a whole bunch of we're, we'll, we'll get our way to formula one so if this you is recall, the spread as it were yes we're going to chronicle its outbreak maybe not the best way to go anyway <laughs> so last week as you recall we mentioned that MotoGP had canceled their season opener in cutter uh due to concerns over the the coronavirus um but we also we we kind of mocked MotoGP a bit because they canceled the MotoGP season opener, the top of the card event, but they didn't cancel any of the support races for the weekend, all the junior series, I also think, at the same track. I think we determined that MotoGP had decided that the junior series were all expendable. Yes, we, we did come to that conclusion. We have gotten a little more information as to what happened because apparently we weren't the only ones who went, wow, you really don't care about your junior drivers, do you? <laughs> um, but actually what happened and what we did not realize is that in the week prior to the race, and, and actually it was the two weeks prior to the race, all those junior series had already arrived in the country for preseason testing. 
Okay. So the quarantines and stuff, they'd already been through that, that period of stuff. So they were already there. They were, they were going to be available to compete because they'd already set up and, and were ready to go. They didn't have to travel yet where all the MotoGP teams actually had to travel into the country. And that's where they were getting hung up. Okay. So, so not they, quite as bad as we thought it was. They did not <clears throat> think that their under their junior series were expendable. And it was really sad when we got the complaint letter from the head of MotoGP that possibly we should not assume the expendability of their junior drivers. We were not the only ones who raised it. Well, yes, I understand. Some that. some people raised it a bit louder. Now, the the next question that has come up is just when will the MotoGP season start? Because what has since happened is not only did we have the cancellation of the race in, in, in Qatar, race number two was supposed to be in Thailand. That has now been postponed until October. Okay. So MotoGP issued a new calendar, race number three being the opening race. That is supposed to be at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. However, this past week, there was a state of emergency declared in Austin, and among other things, South by Southwest is canceled. And now there is question as to whether or not race three is even going to happen. Oh, my. And it doesn't help, and we'll get to this in a bit, but it doesn't help the quarantine that was announced in Italy, and many of the MotoGP teams are Italian. So 2020 is sizing up to be the year of cancellations. It may be. So moving over to Formula E, their next race was scheduled for April 8th or April 4th in Rome, the Rome E-Prix. That has been canceled. Ah. So yes, shaping up to be cancellations. Um, in response to everything that is going on, the FIA, as the governing body for all world motorsports, not just Formula One, um, they have set up a crisis cell to oversee the governing body's reaction to the developing outbreak. Um, and I'm assuming they're going to put out some further guidance. But the statement that they've come out is, an FIA crisis cell has been established and convenes every second day to consider the latest developments around the world. The FIA continues to closely monitor the situation and its implications together with its member clubs and promoters and follows the advice of relevant authorities, including governments and World Health Organization. The FIA will evaluate the calendar of its forthcoming competitions and take any action required to help protect the global motorsport community and the wider public, including the postponement of competitions where necessary. So right now, this appears to be um, the local authorities and the local promoters that are canceling events. The FIA has not stepped in as of yet. Got it. So we also talked last week that there was a push from Ferrari, and, and as we later heard from several of the other teams, to get some kind of clarification, to get some kind of position from Formula One, not from the FIA, but from Formula One as to how the sport would handle it if there were teams who could not participate in the race. So Ross Braun came out on Tuesday after we published the podcast, uh, came out on Tuesday and stated that if a team could not compete, not if a certain number of teams, but if any team could not compete because of travel restrictions caused by coronavirus, Formula One as a sport would not host the, the event. So... I heard that. Okay. I've heard you talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me. Let's just pretend for a minute. Okay. We show up on a Friday, Thursday afternoon mm -hmm. to race in whatever. And some team doesn't show up because they are quarantined in some location. Mm -hmm. Whatever that team is, that happens. Every other team has borne the expense plus all of the pre-stuff for the team that couldn't make it, yep. has borne the expense of showing up for a race that won't happen because they've already said, we'll cancel it if anybody can't show mm -hmm. up. 
that is going to be a dollar drain on every team in Formula One because yeah. they won't get a piece of the purse. You know, any of the promoter kickbacks well, and stuff like that. I mean, all of the there's downstream dollars that are tied to all of these things. You've got to assume that for a situation like this, the corporate insurance policies start to kick in. True. That, I mean, I mean that that that's the best I can go for of, you know, of what happens if a race is scheduled at a track, and two days before or a week before. There is something that has occurred, and now the, the track is unusable, or the facility is unusable. You know, what do they do? Yeah, I'm I'm very concerned about that. So I I, I got to assume that that there's policies that there's some degree of contingency that is in place to handle that, and it, it has to get written in. I mean. We've seen that risk in Japan a couple of times, um, whether it was Fukushima, whether it was the the typhoon, um, Bahrain. There, w- there was the question a couple of years ago about whether or not, and I think they did cancel that race a couple of years ago. But the year prior to that, they actually <clears throat> held the race, even though there was civil unrest. Yeah. But yeah, that's beside the point. So I, I didn't think about the corporate insurance policies kicking in, but... It, it seems like it's such a giant dollar suck. And and that I, th- I think that's definitely going to happen. Is, is There is definitely a risk of money loss, both to the sport and to the teams, if a race has to get canceled. But I think the preference is going to be, again, better they cancel a race than putting two or 300 trackside personnel at risk. Well... <clears throat> Putting trackside personnel at risk is one thing, and I'm definitely opposed to that. I'm opposed to risk. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there's also the putting that one team that gets quarantined at a on the back foot because they can't get out of country through no fault of their own. Well, and and that's why that's why they're talking of canceling a race at that yeah. point is if, if one team is going to lose the running time, all the teams are going to lose the running time. And I, I assume that they will make adjustments to the prize fund to some of these other contracts to deal with a situation like this. One should hope because <clears throat> Formula One made a profit last year, and I'd like to see them continue the trend. They made a profit, but I would bet you you lose two races, and that is more than the profit. That is definitely <clears throat> my concern. And as of right now... Um, you haven't gotten that far yet. I won't spoil you. But we have one race that's postponed, mm-hmm. and we have another race that will be down on profits. Right. So anyway, continue moving. Okay. Um, Australia this week, after Ross Braun came out and said, if, teams, if a team cannot uh, participate because of travel restrictions due to coronavirus, we will cancel the event. The question then looks at, okay, we've got Australia coming up what's happening Mm -hmm. and this week and it was on thursday of this week australia in in light of um the continuing spread did announce additional travel restrictions they put it they announced an outright travel ban on uh passengers coming from south korea china and iran but did not put in place a ban for italy now they did say that Travelers coming from Italy would face enhanced screening, uh, but the organizers continue to insist that the race is going to happen, that this is going, that everything is going on, nothing to worry about. Uh, we've gotten word that the Alpha Tori folks, they sent uh, most of their team is already in Australia. Okay. Well, I would hope that most people have got. Majority of people there. The, the, yeah, team, teams have started to move stuff out there. Uh, in theory, it was because of the potential for a 14-day quarantine. It gave them enough of a window. They moved as much as they could. At this point, the word is that the race is still going to go ahead. Um, also announced this past Thursday, the first thing we heard was ticket sales were suspended for the Bahrain Grand Prix. If you, don't ha- if you did not have tickets by Thursday, you could not purchase tickets. 
and officials said that they were going to continue to evaluate the situation to determine potential next steps, what else was going to go on, but they were not, and I don't know how well ticket sales were, mm-hmm. um, but they blocked ticket sales. Um, also scheduled to have happened on Thursday at Fiorano. Now, if you're not familiar, Fiorano is Ferrari's private test track in um, Marinello. It's attached to the factory. Uh, Pirelli and Ferrari were scheduled to do a test of the eight, the new 18-inch tires coming for 2021. Pirelli coming down from the Milan area to go and do this test. That test was postponed, if not outright canceled. Okay. Um, and then on Saturday, this past Saturday, the Italian government essentially announced a quarantine that is locking down northern Italy. And pray tell, how many teams are in northern Italy? Well, that that's where it gets a little interesting. So um, the quarantine zone, and, and there's a word that I never thought I would ever use on this podcast. <laughs> a term, quarantine zone. On a motorsports podcast, we are talking about a quarantine zone. The quarantine zone includes Milan, which is going to, which has an impact on Pirelli. Um, it theoretically has some degree of impact on Alfa Romeo, but I don't know how much because most of that team is still using the Sauber facilities in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also includes Marinello and Modena, which means Ferrari is in the quarantine zone. Right. Now, just south of that, the city of Bologna is not in the quarantine zone. And further south of that, Fonzia, where uh, Alpha Tori is, is also outside of the quarantine zone. But just barely. Uh, well, at, Bologna's closer. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say Fonzia's an hour or so south of Bologna, off the top of my head. I mean, everything seems at least an hour when you're driving a Fiat Panda on the autostrada. <laughs> a Fiat Panda that did not want to go fast. It was the fastest car in the world. Because it was a rental. Downhill. <laughs> with a tailwind. <laughs> possibly falling off a cliff. When you didn't have your luggage in the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so things are possibly locked down in Italy, except Ferrari has come out and said what? Well, Ferrari released a statement in response to this and said, well, yeah, we know that, th- that this quarantine has been happening, but we have not been told by the Italian government we can't travel yet. So we've got a significant portion of the team has already left a significant portion of our hardware needed for the race is already en route to Australia. For the remaining folks, unless we get told by the Italian government, you're not going, we plan on continuing with our travel plans. Now, you also looked up that essential travel is exempt from um, right this uh, travel ban, which may be exactly what Ferrari is coming in under and why it does not seem as weird that they are not they are technically well, not quarantined that's the question and, and and there's been a lot of question about that is does the the travel to support the formula one team is the is the italian government going to consider that essential travel mm-hmm. we don't know I think the the question is going to be whether, and and I'm assuming that Ferrari is not going to be, that that the remaining personnel are not flying commercial. So it's the question of when they go to load up these private jets, is the the Italian government going to block their departure? Or are they going to turn around? and, and, And I don't know what controls are in place to keep people within the quarantine zone. Could it just be a matter of that they're going to go, well, we'll just drive down to Bologna. Since Bologna is a big airport, it's an international airport, we'll just drive down to Bologna, which is outside the quarantine zone, and fly out of Bologna. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is, but they're planning on still arriving at the Australian Grand Prix. So we possibly could have an Australian Grand Prix. We also don't know 
who these remaining folks are. You know, for for Mateo, all we, but... well, that that's the question. M- Matteo may already be out there. I, I do know because I, I saw on Twitter Valtteri Bottas is there already, mm-hmm. um, and Lando Norris has been down there for at least a week. I know teams have been moving folks down there. I don't know who's there and and who is not. Um, did get word from Alpha Tori. Not only is the team already in place, but there is no intention for the team to return to Italy before uh, Bahrain. Okay. At the earliest. That's one way to definitely handle a situation. Yep. Now, speaking of Bahrain, on Sunday, today, uh, organizers of the uh, Grand Prix announced not only are they no longer selling tickets, but... Th- Access to the event will be limited to participants and media only. It's going to be the weirdest Formula One race ever. Yeah. Now, there's no word. If you have tickets to the race, there's no word on what, you know, if there's refunds or anything being offered. But out of an abundance of caution, the organizers of the race have determined that only participants and media will be allowed to attend the race and participate in the race. So we'll still be able to watch it on TV. And we'll still see that. But that's it. I mean, TV is the acceptable way to prevent exposure to coronavirus during an F1 race. Yeah. So the other developments that occurred today. I had to pull out my notes here. (laughs) I wanted to make sure I got them. I, I already mentioned... Uh, the Junior Moto Series and um, Alpha Tori. By the way, several of the um, riders and teams for MotoGP are in the quarantine zone. Oh my. Including well, Alexander Rossi. Not Alexander Rossi. There's another Rossi. I was MotoGP gonna, Rossi. I was going to say Alexander. Valentino Rossi. Yeah. Alexander Rossi, Rossi is an American who yeah. probably is in California right now. Um, no, Ducati lead driver Valentino Rossi lives in the quarantine zone. Alrighty. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I was aware of how many Italian MotoGP teams there are, but, you know, when you do realize that Ducati is a major player in MotoGP, you should see some Italians. So the other developments that occurred today was... So those of you who uh, get your Formula One coverage from the German broadcasters, uh, the German broadcasting team, uh, the exclusive provider, I think that's RTL does their their broadcasting, they will not be sending a broadcasting team to the first three races. They will be doing remote commentary off of the world feed, but they will not be sending their, uh, their reporters to the track for three races. And they have exclusive rights. For Germany. For Germany. So at this point, that means that they will not have reporters in Australia, Bahrain, or Vietnam. Correct. Um, Hungarian media has also announced that they will not be sending reporters to the first two races of the season. And will continue to assess whether or not they will be sending to any other races. Well, this does mean that uh, some of the pit walks could be less crowded. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, trying to look on the bright side. You know, that's a possibility. There, there's also the possibility that we may not get pit pit walks, true or grid rock walks rather. True. We shall see. Are we ready to wash our hands of the coronavirus stories? Yes, that that that's all the coronavirus stories. All right, we're washing our hands with soap, water, and 20 seconds of some song. Possibly, you should pull out the chain. Um, as you wash your hands so you don't get sick. Okay. So, other news. So, we, we touched on it. We, we talked a little bit about it. And I didn't realize that there was so much more to the story until after I finished uh, editing the show and got it posted. That was the private agreement between the FIA and Ferrari over their 2019 engine. Yes. There was more to that story. The first piece of that, and, and I had heard some rumblings that the teams were upset about it. What I didn't realize, because we weren't there, we didn't know this, is that the statement and, or the announcement of that private agreement 
dropped like it was either 30 minutes before the end of the last test session or 30 minutes after the end of the test session. After nobody had it, everybody was focused on wrapping up testing and packing up and getting where they needed to, as opposed to, hey, this big story just hit. So basically it was like dumping the news on Friday afternoon. It was exactly what it was. It's the old White House trick of burying the story, the important story at 5 p.m. on a Friday. And that goes that that has nothing to do with the Trump administration. White House has been doing that for years. <laughs> Catch up on your West Wing binge there watching, you <laughs> and you too will understand that. So there was a lot of upset just over when this was dropped. What we didn't know was the additional conversations that went on over the weekend as the teams had a chance to digest it. And Monday morning, we had something that I think is fairly unprecedented for Formula One. Within about three minutes of each other, um, the media groups at McLaren, Mercedes, Racing Point, Red Bull, Renault, AlphaTauri, and Williams released a statement. Which, if you're doing the math, is every team that does not drive a Ferrari engine. Pretty much. So the statement that all of the teams released, and they really, they, they they got it out within five minutes of each other, and for once, Mercedes was not the fastest. <laughs> I saw that headline, and I did that have was, to laugh. That was good. Um, so what the statement that the teams released were, or was, we, the undersigned teams, were surprised and shocked. Shocked, we tell you. keep your editorializing to other stories we the undersigned teams were surprised and shocked by the fia statement of friday 28 february regarding the conclusion of its investigation into the scuderia ferrari formula one power unit an international sporting regulator has the responsibility to act with the highest standards of governance integrity and transparency after months of investigations that were undertaken by the FIA only following queries raised by other teams, we strongly object to the FIA reaching a confidential settlement agreement with Ferrari to conclude this matter. Therefore, we hereby state publicly our shared commitment to pursue full and proper disclosure in this manner to ensure that our sport treats all competitors fairly and equally. We do so on behalf of the fans, the participants, and the stakeholders of Formula One. In addition, we reserve our rights to seek redress within the FIA's due process and before the competent courts. In other words, the teams not powered by Ferrari are threatening legal action if they do not get more information on what just happened here. Okay. They have spoken. Yeah. Um, This is fairly unprecedented. Well, yeah. I mean, teams working this well together in a common cause? Exactly. I mean, basically, they stood up and called shenanigans. They did. That is an unprecedented amount of contact sense and shenanigans. Shenanigans? I think there's some sort of foul player foot. In Grand Prix racing, they'd be ridiculous. That kind of thing only happens in cartoons. Yeah, pretty much, right? (laughs) Yes, they called shenanigans. So in response to this, the next day, the FIA responded. With a letter? Um, Their own response. Um, Yeah, their statement. The FIA has conducted detailed technical analysis on the Scuderia Ferrari power unit as it is entitled to do for any competitor in the FIA Formula One World Championship. The extensive and thorough investigations undertaken during the 2019 season raised suspicions that the Scuderia Ferrari power unit could be considered as not operating within the limits of the FIA regulations at all times. The Scuderia Ferrari firmly opposed the suspicions and reiterated that its power unit always operate in compliance with the regulations. The FIA was not fully satisfied, but decided that further action could... would but decided that further action would not necessarily result in a conclusive case due to the complexity of the matter and the material impossibility 
to provide the unequivocal evidence of a breach. To avoid the negative consequences that a long litigation would entail, especially in light of the uncertainty of the outcome of such litigations, and in the best interest of the championship and its stakeholders, the FIA, in compliance with Article 4, Subsection 2 of its judicial and disciplinary rules, decided to enter into an effective and dissuasive settlement agreement with Ferrari to terminate the proceedings. This type of agreement is a legal tool recognized as an essential component of any disciplinary system and is used by many public authorities and other sport federations in the handling of disputes. The confidentiality of the terms of the settlement agreement is provided for by Article 4, Subsection 6 of the JDR. The FIA will take all necessary action to protect the sport and its role and reputation as regulator of the FIA Formula One Championship. The big thing, I think, right here is this statement right here. The FIA was not fully satisfied but decided that, no further act, that further action would not necessarily result in a conclusive case due to the complexity of the matter and the material impossibility to provide an unequivocal evidence of a breach. We think that they're cheating, but we can't really prove it. Or if we prove it, they'll veto us. Something like that. I go back to what I said. Cheater engine. Yeah. I think I called it a cheater engine. Um, I, I think over the course of, well, actually Thursday. This Thursday is going to be the day. Because Thursday is press conference day. Yes. So the most, if not all of the team principals... We'll be doing the the big group FIA press conference or Formula One press conference, and several, if not all of them, will be well, probably not all of them, but several of them will be making themselves available to the assembled world media for one-on-one conversations. And you know, this is going to be a topic. Yeah, I'm quite sure that Ferrari is circling the wagons. Well, that you know, that may be. we, We may see a return of. Ferrari not talking. I, I can't see Mattia not talking to the press after last year. But if you remember the year before that, Ferrari would not talk to anybody. True. Be very interesting, Cheater Engine. But over the the next week, and specifically Thursday, I think is going to be very interesting what stories and what statements come out around this. I haven't heard anything else since the FIA statement. I think... The, the the bumping up of the travel bans and the announcements from Bahrain have, have kind of put this a little on the back burner, but we're going to see what happens there. Mm-hmm. The other big news. So within less than a week of us publishing our predictions, we have two of them that are about to become, if not true, plausible. And one of them shocked you. Mm-hmm. So Gene Haas has said um, last Sunday at, uh, Na- at the NASCAR race in Fontana that uh, he hasn't decided if the team is going to stay in the sport beyond this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Gene said, he said, I'm just kind of waiting to see how the season starts off. But if we have another bad year, then it would not be that favorable. We did five years. That was really the test. We're going to do this for five years. See how it goes and evaluate it. And then we'll decide whether to go forward. I'm not saying we won't be back. It has to be evaluated. To do it another five years, though, would be a big commitment. And what <clears throat> what podcaster that we know and love so well had a prediction that you were stunned and thought that... I, I think I f- thought you went very far out on the limb <laughs> with this. I, I'm, I'm not denying that at all. <laughs> the best, I mean, truthfully, the pull back the curtain, the best part of that is, yes, I went out on a limb. You asked me for a big story. I went on out mm-hmm. on a limb and I, I, I had some things in my back pocket that I thought would make it kind of plausible. And it's definitely, it hasn't happened yet, but... It, it 
it could be a possibility, but I was thinking it would be a bigger possibility than y'all would have ever thought it was. When Gene comes out with the, well, we're going to look at the first three races and to make a determination, you come looking at me going, how? How did you know? Well. (laughs) So all that aside, my question for Gene Haas, truly, you look at the model that the team has adopted with some degree of success. Mm-hmm. Did he honestly expect the team to do better than they have? Truthfully, I think what has happened is I think he did expect that the team would do better than they have. Then he's a fool. Okay, but wait. But wait. Hang on. Okay. Year one they outperformed everyone's expectations, including their own. They did. Absolutely, they did. But And the problem was that because they build nothing themselves, mm-hmm. they can only reach a specific... Their window to top is a specific thing. There's no continued development to continue to push top up. And I think that's where Gene missed it. There, there, there is some degree. We, we do know there's some. There, there, but he buys, his, the team's model is to buy as much as possible and to develop as little as possible. Now, we have seen, as we saw last year, that when the, this car is not properly developed, their ability to change direction, their ability to correct, is significantly compromised. Right. But the big issue I have, okay, if you look at over five years and, and the five-year, because that's really what you got to do in all, in all honesty, is look at the five-year performance of that team. And with this type of a model, and you look at the performance over the five years, I would argue that the team has performed as good as could possibly have been hoped. And if, if anybody who supports Haas, who worked for Haas, who was around Haas, who knows how to spell Haas, (laughs) remotely thought that this was a team that ever, ever, with this model, had a chance of winning a championship, let alone winning a race. They were greatly delusional. It was never going to happen. And if that's... the improved performance that Gene wants to get is something more than they've already seen. They might as well drop out of the sport because it ain't happening. Well, one not with this model. One, I think it's very likely that they'll drop out of the sport. Hence my prediction. Mm-hmm. But two, I think that it may not be race wins that is the determining factor. Honestly, I don't know if he's that delusional, but. Th- their two drivers have become embarrassing. I, I and, won't quite go that far with Magnuson. And they but have Grosjean's had, a joke. And they have had car development issues because mm-hmm. they buy and source so much. They cannot react to things going wrong, and they're not. They don't have back pocket development going on that they can swap some things out and try this or try that. They're kind of stuck in a customer stock team concept this is stock mm-hmm. racing is what he, he's brought stock yeah. racing to a development sport and that kind of yeah doesn't okay. work that's where he's gone wrong well it, it will work to, to a, a point. point and it's what makes sense for the point now i mm-hmm. also think that he got sucked in with a better than expected year in his first year now keep in mind as problematic as his drivers have been as problematic as the car has been he is his team is solidly in the mid pack Mm -hmm. they compete on occasions up at the fourth place level solidly fifth and sixth solidly we look at a long time developer team committed to building their own car committed to doing the right thing that's hovering at the bottom because they got it wrong and you look at williams Mm mm-hmm their model couldn't be more diverse than what Gene's is. And they're hovering at the back end of the grid. But they also had the best potential of ever coming out of the back of the grid. Yeah. So Haas is going to stay in the mid-pack for as long as their model is this way. 
if Gene has to make a decision, does he change the model or does he change the sport? And that's where I think that's the crossroads I think Gene's at right now. The the other thing that I find kind of puzzling is the timing here. Mm. And and I gotta kind of wonder how much he's sharing with the Formula One team and how much he's been sharing with Gunther. Because if that was the case, and he you know, it was I wanna see how the start of the year is gonna go to make a determination on the future of this team in the sport, would they have given Roman a, a contract extension? I mean, he had, what, three races all year that he was in the points? I don't know. I know that if I was in that situation, <clears throat> Roman would not still be driving for me. But and and your reasoning for for extending him wouldn't have been well we built a crap car and so we kind of owe it to him to keep him because we didn't deliver. No, um, but then again, you're looking across the grid at who could you replace him with, and you had the potential toxic relationship of Hulkenberg Magnussen, which had some serious toxicity problems with it. Yeah. So that you- did, but at that point. Could you have done any worse if you'd gone to Joseph Newgarden? Or to Hinch? I mean, yeah. Now, admittedly, at the time that they were renegotiating with Roman, they didn't know that Hinchcliffe was about to lose a seat. True. But why not? If if you're supposed to be America's team at that point, takes and I get it, Hinchcliffe is Canadian— but take somebody from North America. That that's yeah. But their model requires people to have Formula One experience. That's the thing. You'd have to be but looking got, at like a Rossi. You, but you got Magnuson. Right. But their model requires both drivers to have Formula One experience. They would have needed to look at um either coming out of Rossi wouldn't have, And Rossi is doing too well point. in Indy. He wouldn't have made the jump. And you don't have a good enough driver <laughs> in a Chilton or... Um, but a, an Erickson might be somebody that you could have looked at. Erickson's actually a really good driver. Yeah. Um, you know, could could that have worked for you? Is there a junior driver that you could have picked up that would have worked? Oh, yeah. They were going to bring over Santino Ferrucci. Um, anyway, no. Um, <laughs> but I go back to, in the television series that Netflix put on Drive to Survive, and this is exactly where yeah. the source of my I, prediction That's kind of what I figured, was, prediction that's came why from. you made that jump. They said that... <clears throat> it was Gene, at the end. Right. He said that he had to evaluate it at the very end, but they said that this cost Gene personally... Mm-hmm. A hundred million dollars a season. Yep. Okay. I need to stop for a minute because I have to sit down and put my head between my knees at the very thought that somebody is capable of spending $500 million for five years. Keep in mind, though, it doesn't actually cost you. Because much like Haas Automation... You've got the, the the Formula One team and Haas Stewart Racing. And odds are what it is is the overall mo- motorsport budget. He pulls out a Haas Stewart and sends it over to Formula One. Well, the statement would be was... my thought. But yes, Gunther did make the comment of Gene Gene sending you sending this money in and, and at some point he's gonna have enough. Yeah. And and Gene does make the comment that, yes, this has been really good from a, a brand awareness perspective. And in terms of raising the visibility of Haas Automation as a global company, which is what he wanted to do, he has seen some benefit in that. He's just not sure if it's enough of a benefit to continue the presence. Well, Gene, make my prediction come true. Either that or get some more sponsors. Also possible. 
figure, figure out who the genius is over at Racing Point <laughs> who keeps sucking in more sponsors even during VJ Malia's worst years and get them over. Pick up Lance Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, the other question is, okay, you've got these sponsorship deals with Haas Stewart. Uh, you, you can't come up with a partnership? I mean, I, I get it. Mobile One, you're not getting from, from Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But some of these other brands that are, that are in NASCAR for Haas Stewart, you can't come up with something to get them on your car? I don't know. I don't know. And that may be why Peak is there. I don't know. Speaking of the strolls. Yes. Lawrence. Yes. Um, Lawrence Stroll has said that the currently known as Racing Point team, because I'm assuming that the, the name will be changing for 2021, um, that the Formula One team is intended to be the foundation of Aston Martin's future plans once the team gains work status in 2021. Oh, wow. So basically what, what I think the thought is, is he's looking at the Ferrari model. And if you remember... Years and years and years and years ago, when Enzo was still alive, he used to turn around and say that they were a racing team, first and foremost. They sold cars so that they could race. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the idea that he he wants to do with Aston Martin. I don't think it was sustainable then. I don't think it's sustainable now. But it's an interesting idea as a way to further raise the profile of Aston Martin as a motorsport and a performance company. Um, one of the things that, that Lawrence also says that he's looking to uh, share F1 technology with a new range of Aston Martin produced supercars. That's something, yeah, Ferrari and Mercedes have both dabbled in in the past. So I could see them going with that. But Lawrence says that he is trying to deeply intermingle the two organizations. Might want to start building their own engines. Yeah, I would, I, I that, would I mean, start with your engine. Start with building your own engines over at Aston instead of getting them from Mercedes. Good news. No, this actually, this really is good news. Well, it's... It's acknowledgement that Formula One listens to the show and has heard our complaint about the stupidity of this rule and has changed their mind. We have gotten word that the FIA has dropped the rule that restricted how many times a Formula One driver could change their helmet uh, design during a season. Yay! Which means some of these helmet designs that drivers bring to races, because they're not allowed to wear, but they got it anyway, they can actually wear. Yes. Excellent. It, it's about time. Dumb rule ending. Yay. Now, I've already heard from Jenny Gao that actually she's a little concerned about this. Why? Um, because she is one of the reporters that actually does use the helmet for identification. <laughs> and apparently in the past, there have been some unfortunate incidents, um, at least that she hinted to on Twitter. Um, so she, she has some concern. Um, she has already wished uh, the, the best of luck to uh, Jolian Palmer uh, as they and Jack Nichols as, as they get ready to commentate for the season and, and try and pick out drivers. I don't think it's quite as much of a challenge, but well, you know, their cars have their numbers on them and their the names, <laughs> and it, you know, and and the numbers are required to be much more prominent than when this rule was first put into place. Exactly, and we have the halo, which does prevent access to the yeah the helmet. So and even the in car where you can see the helmet best. Most, if not all, the teams at this point have put the number and the driver's name on the halo. Exactly. So, so to remind the driver who they are. Yeah. I'm assuming that's why that's there. Well, no, it's it, it's on top in view of the camera, so I'm, the driver doesn't see it. But yeah. I'm kidding. I know that. Um, before you do the last story. Okay. I have a Twitter update. Uh-oh. 
do you follow Lewis Hamilton on Twitter? Um, I do. He doesn't post on Twitter much. I did see a picture, and actually, I didn't get it off of Lewis's feed. I got it. Um, actually, it may have been off of Jenny Cow's feed. Um, that Lewis had tweeted a picture of himself. Uh huh. That's where with, we're going with a face mask, and he was upset because somebody on the plane was coughing. No, that's not where we're going. Oh. Lewis has uh, has posted a, they are terming it a topless picture of himself. I I saw that. That was part of, was that also part of, there was an Instagram post with all this text that I started reading and I got bored and kind of grossed (laughs) out by the look of him. He's he's looking rather emaciated. Um. I, I would not say emaciated. He has got incredible ab definition going on. Um, but he has posted a picture of himself in what he is claiming is the fittest shape of his life that he has, um, encouraging everyone to stay healthy, um, and to feed their body well. He's been on this very big food is fuel kick. Um, and apparently, uh, not only did the picture go viral pretty darn quick, um, Naomi Campbell has responded to his post oh do you follow her too no i just was it was called out in the news article that i ah i read uh she responded with three flames okay so i'm just wanting to call it out that if anybody wants to see what uh topless lewis looks like um i'm good you're good you could you could really get to see a lot of the tattoos though yep like all of the tattoos. Yep. I'm, I'm just suggesting it's out there should you be interested. I know that there is a contingent of our fan base that is interested in what um, the rest of the tattoos look like. Hey, since we're talking about social media, make sure you go to our Facebook page and check out the video that we shared. Okay. Uh, that came from Formula One. It was tweeted to them from a fan. It, it's basically, it's a new intro for Formula One to the Friends theme. Uh-oh. Okay. It, it's, it's quite good. It's not quite as good as the, the Thomas the Tank Engine one. Okay. But it, it's, it, it's very well done. Well, we'll have to go watch that. Now, for our last story. Chase Carey seems to be a bit freer in talking about how things are going with the sport um, in particular, a bit more freer in his opinions of how the sport had been managed. Do you think the NDA has expi- expired? Either that or, or he's less scared of Bernie right now. Well, Bernie is old. And maybe Bernie's going to China and could be exposed. Well, it, it may be more that, that Bernie did not show up to races or, or he's shown up to fewer races and they don't have to listen to him. So, um, at the BHMSE conference in Baku, and I'm not sure what the BHMSE conference was, but uh, Chase Carey was at the BHMSE conference uh, and talking about where the sport has been. Uh, He said, there were things that the sport needed to get on top of that it hasn't. I do think the issue with things like costs got to a place that should have been dealt with before. I think the sport probably did not organize itself. I've talked about the hybrid engine and the incredible technology involved in it, and yet the years preceding us, as in before Liberty, the years preceding us mostly was all people crapping on it as opposed to saying, this is the most efficient engine. It's an incredible piece of technology, and it was really a step for the sport to deal with an important issue. When talking further about um, new races and and things of that nature. He went on, Chase went on to say, there were questions about the promoter side of our business. Promoter being Bernie Eccleston. Really? There were questions about the promoter side of our business. And I think the strength of that has been indicated and been a real positive. I think the strength is first and foremost, just demand realistically. We have the good fortune of having a lot more demand than supply for races. We want to be selective and we want long-term partnerships, but that has to be a positive. 
I think it is a sign of the interest in the sport, the interest that there wasn't being tapped into because the sport wasn't doing things that you needed to do. The sport had gotten a little too critical of itself, as I said, crapping on the engines, Bernie saying, I wouldn't buy a ticket. It's complaining, not fixing. There were problems, but there wasn't enough action to address the problems like the costs. People complained about it, but they weren't doing anything about it. Usually in life, if you've got issues, you fix them. I think on that, we should probably just close the show. You have no, you have no comments? I have so many comments. Oh, come on. The problem is it's just repetitive. It's been years that we have talked about how Bernie gutted F1, how he was revolutionary and should give, be given lots of props when he got the broadcast rights and then proceeded to ignore as technology changed. And that, it, That's it. I don't, I don't think he, he didn't gut F1. He, he ignored, got to where he understood and refused to understand more. Exactly. And he never, he didn't push the bounds of the promotion and then would just sit back and complain. Which give is me what, more money. Yeah, it was give me more money. It The gutting part, where I come up with the gutting part is the ridiculous agreements with, the escalation agreements with the his, tracks. His, his extortion agreements. Exactly. That was gutting F1. Okay. Um, it was deals that were made with people that because they had big, deep pockets. It's only giving access and availability based on how much you could grease his palm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't build a sport that is supposed to attract families and all walks of life and people that should be fans from the time their dads take them to the track at eight all the way until they're taking their grandchildren to the track at 80. Yeah. You're not willing to buy a Rolex. I don't want you at my track. Is his attitude. Exactly. Was his attitude. And <clears throat> that doesn't, that's not the, the, the people. Yeah. And I get that it's a playboy sport. I get that that's where its roots are, but the fans weren't. We all watched rich boys drive around and crash their cars. That's the playboy sport. And watch their lives, and but it's it's the blue collar folks in the stands. But it's the blue collar the majority fans. of your tickets. Yeah, it's the families. It's a Sunday afternoon <clears throat> in Silverstone. That's where your money really comes from. It's the the kidding out at your favorite team. And that's the thing that IndyCar does well. That's the thing that honestly mm-hmm. NASCAR does well. It's the thing that makes it, they appeal to their blue collar fans as much as we don't like them. But he didn't want to play that game. And he didn't want to accept the, the new marketing uh, possibilities that even his Rolex wearing rich people were recognized. leveraging. Yeah, but they leveraging. recognized it. So I've beaten this horse dead and bloody. I'm just glad that Chase finally listened to the podcast and listened to us and was willing to come out and support our point of view. But this was our point of view before they bought Chase Carey bought the sport. Well, before Liberty Media. Liberty Media bought F1. Yeah, he Chase was not. Chase is just the mouthpiece. But that was our opinion long ago. The best thing that's happened to Formula One in the last five to ten years is Liberty Media. And it's not perfect. No. There, there's still a lot more that needs to be done that could be done. And, and they've still got some less than fan-friendly positions and policies. Their, their broadcast packages is one of them. Correct. But it's better than it was. Correct. And on that note... Now you can call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. 
Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.